Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Thank you for joining us this morning. Before I introduce our guests, I want to acknowledge that we lost a great leader this week. I had the honor and privilege of meeting General Powell, and we'll never forget his humble and gentle persona. Just a genuine, nice guy. There is no doubt if we had more Colin Powells, the world would be a better place. Now I'd like to introduce another good guy, DEA agent, special agent in charge, actually. No, ASAC. Is um, Polo on the phone? Is he on the phone? Yes, ma'am. You are? Yes, Jerry. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, Assistant Special Agent in charge in charge of the Tucson District Office for the DEA here in Arizona. Yeah, you've got a, an announcement to make. What's going on? Yes, ma'am. Um, first of all, I just uh, want to uh, appreciate you having us on, on your show. And it's the kickoff today to the 21st National Prescription uh, Drug Take Back Day. We celebrate this. Uh, actually, this is a campaign that occurs uh, twice a year, one time in April, and then the other time is October. And it, uh, it's, a, it's a method of not only it's, it's getting all the prescription pills, unused ones or used ones that you have in your medicine cabinet, and uh, it's a proper way to dispose of them. Uh, and a lot of times, but also, it, it also encourages uh, some conversation about uh, the opioid uh, uh, epidemic that we're facing right now because we found that <clears throat> some of the opioid addictions that are occurring uh, first start with the prescription pills. And then once the, uh, the, the patient is no longer getting the scripts from you know prescriptions filled from the, the physician, they then are turning into to, to the black market. And and uh, remember the last time we, I was on your show, we were talking about the one pill can kill yeah. initiative that we had and that we have going on. And in that initiative, it's it, it, it parlays into this where <clears throat> we are facing numerous amount of uh, oxycon, Adderall. Uh, Vicodin pills that are fake pills, and they're being disguised as as, as those type of uh, pills. But in all reality, they have fentanyl in them, and that's where we're having a large amount of uh, fentanyl overdoses here in the United States. Yeah, people don't realize how easy it is to get hooked on these drugs. And if you've got meds that you haven't used, and they're just sitting in your medicine cabinet, get rid of them appropriately. Don't flush them down the toilet. <laughs> get rid of them appropriately, yes. and that's that's correct. And where can they take this medication? Oh, okay. Well, we have uh, here in Arizona, we have eighty-seven drop sites. <clears throat> Nationally, there's four thousand. So the easiest way to locate uh, to find the location is go to www.da.gov. 
And then from there, you go to National Take Back. Uh, it's one of the drop-down boxes. You put in your zip code. From there, it'll tell you the closest one that's here in Arizona, if we're talking about Arizona. So it uh, it's really easy. Now, if for some reason you don't have the availability to to uh, go on www.da.gov, then just go to your closest police station or uh, hospital or pharmacy, and usually they do have drop boxes at those locations. We will then pick them up uh, today and, and the next couple of days. And dispose of them properly. That's that is correct. And that's so... the main thing is, is uh, because, like you said, please don't flush them down the water, I mean, down the toilet, because that eventually goes into sewage system, but then it comes back into our water system. And then the other thing is if people say, well, I'll, I'll throw them in the trash. Well, then that's another way that sometimes people do have access to your trash. They do funnel through the trash and the dumpsters and things of such nature. And then now they end up getting those pills and then they become addicts. And, and we just end up running into the same problem. But then it also goes into the water table. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you calling in and telling us this. Too bad you couldn't come in this morning. I I, I do apologize, and but I, I but on the next one, as I told you, I, I promise I will be there um, with I coffee. To admit, yes, <laughs> as I promised the last time, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I do want to mention the last uh, in April we did um, uh, take back sixteen thousand eight hundred thirty nine pounds of pharmaceuticals, oh my God. and that was. Yes. So that's a, and that was just in, in Arizona. So you're talking, you know, we, we go into also into the Indian tribe locations. Um, we have a good um, communication with them. They also set up uh, drop boxes in those areas. So it really helps out. Uh, and it's, it's a, these initiatives, even though I want to, I want the public to know that, of course, April and October are those the two months that we concentrate on this initiative, but there throughout the year, this is still going on at, uh, like I stated, at the, the local police departments, pharmacies, hospitals. Um, you can drop them off. You can come into my office, drop them off, and we'll make sure that they get disposed of properly. We just don't want them to end up in the wrong hands. We're finding a lot of times too, when you're when you have them there at home, well, and you have kids, they have access to them. And, of course, the laws say, well, it's childproof. Believe me, uh, down the road, uh, kids get a little older. They're able to grab those pills. And then uh, what happens, they either become uh, addicts themselves or they start selling them themselves on the black market. And, fortunately, uh, I could tell you from experience, a good friend of mine, this happened to him. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, and he was a, he was a longtime friend um, in law enforcement. And uh, back when I was in California, and unfortunately, he ended up, uh, his daughter ended up becoming, uh, because he had a line, uh, an ailment that required Vicodin and all these different uh, opioids, uh, prescribed opioids, okay, for him. But then she started grabbing those and then taking them over to, uh, <clears throat> to the high school where other kids were doing the same thing. And then soon she became an addict, unfortunately. Uh, but then on, on top of that, but then she also became a, the local, uh, her along with other others became a the local drug dealer. Wow. And uh, yes. And it's easily, big, it happens easily and people need to really be careful what they do with their drugs. Keep them under lock and key. Exactly. 
Exactly. So we're always available. And Sherry, I thank you very much for having me on your show. Thanks, Paulo. And you take care of yourself, all right? Likewise, ma'am. Okay. We have a couple more announcements to make before I introduce our guests. This coming set, uh, Friday, actually, Friday night is National Night Out Noro Valley. It'll be held at the Walmart on Tangerine. Uh, all kinds of people will be there. It's a safe place for kids to go trick-or-treating. And it's from 6 to 8 o'clock. And we have a huge Halloween basket that we're going to be raffling off to some lucky child. And everybody should be there. No purchase necessary, of course. And the other announcement is to tell you about our event we're having on the 20th of November. We're going to have a, a private showing of a private car collection at Wayne's Toys. And please go to lawmatters1030.org to get more information on that and buy your tickets there. It's going to be a great event. It's an opportunity. If you've got Christmas gifts or any kind of Christmas things you want to have, go to lawmatters1030.org and get your tickets for this event. It's a unique opportunity. Now, in the studio, we have Major General Donald Shepard, retired Air Force. And are you Air Force too? Okay, we have Chuck Kennedy, who is also retired Air Force. And we're going to talk about some books that have been written. This caught my eye, and I think everybody, if you're trying to think of what to get for somebody for the holiday, a great gift, this is a unique gift. And before we talk about these books, I want to talk about you. Tell us a little bit about um, your history, your background, your military career, how you got involved. Yeah, well, it's uh, kind of a typical story, if you will, by old guys. Uh, first of all, we're a bunch of geezers out here that belong to a <laughs> bunch of uh, a, a kind of a club called the Friday Pilots. We have uh, we have lunch every uh, Friday at the Hacienda del Sol. It started several years ago and just grew and grew. And now I've got about 30 people in the organization. We're all retired military. We just get together for lunch and have fun. But as far as my personal thing. I grew up in World War II, living with my grandparents in San Antonio, Texas, and my dad was a civilian uh, contractor modifying airplanes for the war effort, and he took me out to a war bonds rally at Randolph Air Force Base, and at the end, he says, do you want to take a ride in an airplane? Oh, yeah, I do, and so he took me over to a little shack on the side of the uh, side of the field there, and the, the, the instructor pilots were allowed to keep their private airplanes on the ramp. And so he yells in, somebody yells in and says, hey, Bob, somebody wants to ride in your airplane. And Bob comes out with a bottle of beer in one hand and his arm around a beautiful blonde in the other. <laughs> and I said, aviation is the, the life for me. So later on, I went to uh, the Air Force Academy, went to pilot training, went to Vietnam, had a great career in the Air Force, ended up always uh, dreaming about settling in Tucson. And we're, we're back now, built our house in 2002 in Tucson. We're here for the duration. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Chuck, what about you? Well... Well, Don, I grew up around aviation. I grew up not too far from the airport in Santa Monica where Douglas had a huge facility. I went to the academy, graduated in 1966. I uh, had a tour in the F-105 uh, in, in Thailand. I went back for a second tour in the A-1 Sky Raider, an old prop uh, tail dragger. Uh, flew A-7 for a while, went back to Thailand in the A-7. And then went to uh, came to DM for a while on the A10, left, and then came back and decided we're going to live here the rest of our lives. So we're transplanted 
semi-native Tucsonians. <laughs> so, but DM is a, an amazing resource here for Tucson people. And I don't think they really realize all the things that DM does, but we're here to talk about these books. I want to know what inspired you, because I know you've written several books. Right. What inspired you to get document these first person histories that we're, I'm looking at here. One book is called The Friday Pilots. The other one is On the Wings of Geezers. Yeah, well, I'm an, an author. I come from a family of authors or family of writers anyway. And so I know how to write books. And it's a daunting thing to put together a book until you know how to do it. And then once you know how to do it, it's not all that difficult. It's difficult to sell a book once you write it and get it published. But other than that, so I know how to do this. And uh, again, with this bunch of guys, what I found out growing up uh, with people, everybody's got stories. They got stories about their family. They got stories about their grandparents and their own parents that they don't think about until later on in life. And then nobody ever writes it down, what it amounts to. So we get this group of really interesting guys and we all grew up flying in the old military, the, or the early jets and stuff like that. We've all been to war. And so we talked about it and we said, I tell you what, I know how to put this together if you guys will write stories. And so what we did, we started off and I wrote a story uh, about my life, and just not as ex not as, uh, a format, but an example for the guys, and encourage the others to do that. We got uh, again in the original book, we got about uh, twenty-five or thirty stories of the guys. Now, the important thing about this is these guys have done what almost nobody does. And that is, they've left something for their families that their their grandkids and great great grandkids will read twenty twenty years from now. Very few people do that. We're really proud of it. This the first book is the stories of their lives the second book is the lessons they learned from the from flying and the things they did in the military well if anybody's looking for a gift for somebody who's hard to buy for these are definitely two books that would fill the bill absolutely first person histories of what's happened and you know people read history books some historian wrote down what they thought may have happened this is what happened this is first person so this is something worth worth buying, and and everybody should be reading it and should be passing it down to your kids because this is what really happened. Yeah, it's not intellectual text. These are first-person accounts of guys that really lived it, what they did growing up, their families, uh, what they did in war, what they did in peace. And the important thing is that these, these are the real deal, what they really, really went through, and they wrote it themselves. This is not somebody writing about it. Yeah, these, these aren't ghostwriters. Absolutely not. So... You tell me that you you were in battle. What's it like to be in battle in an airplane? You know, Sherry, and I think Chuck will back this up too, is you ask questions like that, and everybody had their own war, and everybody has a different war. The jet pilots had one. The grunts on the ground had another. The Marines had another. The helicopters had another. And the bombers had another. And you end up talking to your own guys because the, your own guys understand. The other people don't understand, so it's really hard to talk about it. In my own experience, I, of course, I had never been to war. This is my first war. Chuck had three tours over there. I only had one. But basically, you, you have no idea what it's like, and then you go over there and you start into it, and you're scared because you don't understand what it is. And then you get used to the gunfire and what have you. And uh, everybody, again, had their own war. I had my own war starting out with close air support of our troops in South Vietnam in the F-100. And and then I went up <clears throat> to fly what we call the Misty Ford Air Controller role in North Vietnam, which we hunted out Turk, Turk, 
targets in North Vietnam, hunting out SAM sites, truck parks, ammunition depots, that type of thing, and trying to stop the traffic coming down uh, from North Vietnam into the south. So everybody had their own experience, and you end up telling your own experience to to your friends, and when other people talk to you, you say, you know, you really, you, you can't understand what we went through, so uh, come and talk to us. That's, that's what we do at Hacienda del Sol. We're all sitting there and telling our own stories every Friday, and you can tell, get away with telling the same story because nobody remembers because we're old. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. The um, I I know somebody who is kind of frustrated with the way movies are made and, and books are written because nobody's ever told his story. He was in the army. He was in the cavalry. They always talk about the army, other branches. Nobody talks about the cavalry, and he's looking for somebody to help him put a book together. Yep. So maybe I'll I'll Have introduce him call you. Me. you bet. It, he, yeah, he's got a story to tell, and I think it should be told, you know, like I said, before the show started, we were talking, my dad never talked about his military career, and all that information is lost. He didn't write it down for anybody. It's just gone, and it's kind of sad. So tell me about your experience. And you well, have to get up I, to, yeah. I was, very, I was very lucky that I got an F-105 out of flying school, Uh its primary mission was bombing in North Vietnam and northern Laos. And uh, so I went over there as a brand-new lieutenant with my eyes wide open and, not as Don said, not having a clue what was going on. Uh, most of our missions were interdiction. A lot of them were led by our, the Ford Air Controllers with the Misty Facts that Don was flying. Uh, when I finished that tour... I wanted to stay in the fighters, and if you're coming back from Vietnam as a lieutenant, you went into other airplanes. So I volunteered to go back again right away in the A-1 Sky Raider, which I said was a prop of Korean War Navy airplane, tail dragger, and it had a fan fantastic mission. Or actually, what does tail dragger mean? Tail dragger means that there's no nose wheel. Uh, the airplane... It's got two main gear, and then instead of a nose wheel, the uh, there's a wheel at the back of the airplane. So the airplane sits up at an angle. Okay. And as you take off, you push it forward to get it going, then you pull up and, and fly. It's challenging to take off, and it's very challenging to land. Uh, but it was a heck of a lot of fun to fly. Uh, our missions were close air support, Predominantly of the uh, Hmong tribesmen in northern Laos. Uh, we also did a lot of interjection on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, uh, both day and night. And our most rewarding mission was search and rescue, where as an A-1 in the, what we called the Sandy Roll, uh, we led rescues of downed pilots. And along with the Jolly Green helicopters and a lot of other support as we needed uh, we were successful a lot of the time and not successful some of the time. And there's nothing higher than pulling a guy out, and there's nothing much lower when you can't get him out. Yeah. So it's an extremely emotional mission and extremely rewarding. So uh, you were like search and rescue. That's what it was, yeah. Search and rescue missions. The A-1 leads it, the helicopters do the pickups, and uh, it's a great fraternity of, of pilots. Wow. Are you going to the air show in a oh, couple yeah. of weeks? Sure. sure. You're sure. going to be there. I'm going well, to be there. These airplanes will be there. 
yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they we're going to have them on next week um, to talk about what to expect and what to do and not to do at the air show. It's a huge free event, and we're lucky to have it happening this year because it hasn't happened for a while. So that'll be good. You said um, you have a membership to this Friday Pilots organization, or is it just show up? Well, uh, first of all, we don't have any kind of rules. There's no president. There's no rules. There's no dues. We just get together for lunch. And, you know, we, we invite people to come. Uh, it's the, the group of 25 to 30 of us, the guys that live here uh, full-time and part-time. But we come every Friday, and we want people to come every Friday. And, you know, people can come and visit us. We usually invite people is the way you get get there and then they say hey you know i'd like to be part of this and I'd, yeah i can come every week and what have you so it's a good bunch of guys it, it is a it is a hoot it is fun and when you get there everybody's talking at the same time it's it's hard to hear but uh, it's, it's it's a really fun it's a it's a fun group of guys it sounds like it so if there's anybody out there who's do you have to be retired military or well, can we, you have been a pilot it's, it's retired military pilots That's okay what it to, yeah okay so there's no membership. You can just show up and say, hi, here I am. Yeah, yeah. Ask for Don. He'll show you the way. Ask for Don, Chuck, ask for anybody, or just come in the room in there, and uh, and we'll talk to you. <laughs> the friendly group. Yeah. Awesome. So, collectively, inside here, these stories that are in these books, and there's two of them, I got one that's autographed. I just want everybody to be jealous about that. But these two books are available on Amazon. Right. And that's basically the only place. Well, they could, they're available in bookstores, too, if the bookstores happen to carry them. But there are very few bookstores anymore. Amazon's I the know. best place to get books. So. I know. Yeah. What happened to all the bookstores? Yeah, exactly. So you told me something before the uh, before the show about the contribution these books make? Yeah, what we do is we, whatever the books are sold, we give $5 from every book that goes to the Fisher House, which is the military charity for uh, families that are receiving uh, care under the VA and, and the VA here at, in, in Tucson. And so we give $5 for every book that's sold, whether it's sold on Amazon or whether we sell it locally. That's, that's where the five bucks goes. So we've been able to give uh, so far, we've given about twelve to fourteen thousand dollars to the to the organization, and I think this second book will end up adding another five, six, seven thousand dollars. So we'll give over twenty thousand by the time uh, by the time it rolls out. I think that's awesome. That's yeah. amazing. That's remarkable. And I'm I'm telling you the the Friday pilots and on the wings of geezers are the titles of the book. Look them up. You won't be disappointed. And right now we're going to take a quick break. Hi, this is Sherry asking you to tune in to Law Matters Live Show every Saturday morning at 8. On our next show, we prepare for Davis-Monthan Thunder and Lightning Air Show with the Program Director and Davis-Monthan Fire Chief. We can't do these shows without your support. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to contribute and buy tickets to upcoming Law Matters unique fundraising events. Law Matters Podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Saving lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. 
As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. The Southern Arizona Law Enforcement Foundation, SALIF, will be hosting its third annual Law Enforcement Poker Run on Saturday, October 30th, beginning at the Miranda Police Department headquarters. The Halloween-themed poker run begins at 7.30 in the morning and ends at 2 p.m. with a lunch, music, and raffle prizes. The pre-registration cost is only $25 per driver and $15 per passenger. Cost does increase the day of the event. Please join us as we ride together in support of law enforcement. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for staying with us. Our guests today are Major General Don Shepard, who's retired from the Air Force, and Chuck Kennedy, who's also retired from the Air Force. They're both pilots. They've written a couple of books, and the cover of the one book is On the Wings of Geezers is is kind of a, a game because <laughs> I, I started looking at it and going, oh, I have to find these things. Explain to us what happened with the cover. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, first of all, the cover was designed by a <clears throat> fairly famous aviation artist named uh, John Mollison, and we asked him to do this cover for us, which he did. And basically, people will pick up a book and they'll look at the cover one time and then that, that's it. That's you know? it. We designed something on here that, uh, you know, it's a treasure hunt, if you will, a treasure hunt of aviation and we'll get people talking about the cover itself. When you pick it up, you got an old man in a, holding his grandson's hand, looking up in the sky, pointing up in the sky at a flight of four airplanes. And it's a missing man formation that we do in the military of a flight of four airplanes. And the number three aircraft pulls up out of the flight towards the heavens to honor a departed comrade. Other things on the cover, we've got uh, 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 search and rescue down there, the POW flag. We've got uh, on the back, we got the moon on the front also. We've got a famous uh, famous astronaut from the second group of Af astronauts, Jim McDivitt, that lives here in Tucson. He uh, flew the Gemini and also the Apollo missions and then managed the moon landing program. That's on the front. And on the back cover, we've got a lot of symbology back there. We've got uh, to honor the B-52s from the Operation Linebacker that ended the Vietnam War, if you will. We've got three linebackers on the top up there. We've got an airline pilot's captain hat. Several of the guys are airline pilots, letter in life. We've got a dead bug down there, which is a bar game that uh, pilots play. You walk into a, a bar on Friday nights, somebody will yell, dead bug. Everybody hits the flug, floor like a dead bug. Last man standing buys the bar. We've got, a, <laughs> we've, we've got an SA-2 missile that we were shot at uh, in Vietnam. We've got wings from all of the services hidden in the grass. We've got a nickel there. We have a symbol, throw a nickel on the grass, save a fighter pilot's ass for a fallen comrade. So the cover of the book is basically a, a treasure hunt, and it's explained in the book with uh, things so you, people will go back and look at the cover and talk about it, and it's helped us sell the book, too. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable 
collection of stories and you won't be disappointed if you buy this and i'm really pushing it because it's first person history and i think everybody needs to hear it from the people who experienced yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think if you're interested in aviation, you'll like these books, no question about it. And, the, and, and again, history, no, too. No, yeah, and the money goes to uh, to the Fisher House. That's the, the money from every book goes to the Fisher House, let's put it that way. And that's, that's a great organization, yeah. and I'm very familiar with them. I saw something on the news not that long ago that made me think about you and, and your organization. They... Pilots were leaving Afghanistan and had all these people hanging on the outside of the plane. What, how does, number one, how does that happen? Do they take off with these people on the plane? They never answered that question. Do you know? The answer is, yeah, they did in this particular case because they had to get the people that were inside the airplane out of there. That was the mission, to get them out. And people just hung on out of desperation at the end. I think all of us feel the same way about Afghanistan. I think probably we're out. We're glad we're out of Afghanistan, but we're dissatisfied with the way that the departure came about and what took place. It's a, it's a sad chapter in American military history. It's a sad, although, you know, the military good, did a good job in evacuating the people at the end, but it's a sad, it's a sad commentary on the United States, uh, the way it, it all ended. And I think we all feel bad about it. Yeah, that's pretty horrific, and yep. I I couldn't believe my eyes. Yep. The whole the whole situation. So, your experiences in in the military. Are there any regrets? Okay, Chuck, <laughs> you're on the hot seat. Yeah. I regret the uh, loss of time with my wife and family. Uh, you're gone a lot. Yeah. Uh, you need a very supportive wife to be able to withstand the rigors of what a military family goes through. I was blessed that I have one, uh, and uh, but that that's difficult. Yeah. Uh, if you're stationed in the southeast United States and a hurricane comes, you fly with the airplane to somewhere safe, you leave your wife and family unless they're able to evacuate there. So there's there's burdens that the family uh, carry. And that's the regret that I've got. I love the military. I love the flying. I love the camaraderie, the people you're with. They're universally, they're dedicated. Uh, they love their country. Uh, it's, it's a great brotherhood. Uh, but the family stresses are difficult. And we're all blessed, at least I certainly am, that uh, the wise bear with it because it's difficult yeah. for them. Yeah, and we, we have done shows that we've talked about on the show that, you know, you're in the military, you're off to war, your family's here. Yeah. That's a burden. That's hard. Yeah, it is tough. And I, I think that uh, every wife will tell you in the military that they always dreaded the sight of a blue car, uh, you know, pulling up... <clears throat> Uh, pulling up to the house. And I think we all regret the loss of comrades in life that goes with the military, but I can't recommend the military high enough, highly enough for the youth of America. You come in and you deal with good people, you deal with good training, you've got good equipment, you've got people with values, and it's just a, it's a very, very great life. Whether you're a pilot, whether you're a maintainer, whether you're a loader, uh, whether you're a grunt on the ground, it's you, you deal with really good people with a high purpose, which is the security of the United States of America, and uh, I just can't recommend it highly enough for kids that are interested and bent toward the military, and now women as well. Of course, when Chuck and I came up, we didn't have women in the cockpits. Now we've got a lot of women in the cockpits, and they're great. 
Oh, yeah, that that was something, that transition, I, I watched it all happen. I wanted to join the military. When I came home and told my dad I was going to join the military, he, he turned as white as this page and said, I would rather you joined a convent. <laughs> and <laughs> my dad was an atheist, so that spoke volumes. And I didn't join the military because of him, to, out of respect, but I always felt like, you know, I should have. should have joined the military. <laughs> is something that I think everybody should have some type of civic duty to their country, whether you're in the military or out of the military, there's something you could be doing to help the military too. And that's another thing. If you're curious about the military, apply to be an honorary commander and learn more. And, you know, Davis Mountain is a huge resource right here. So did you go to ROTC or anything like that when you were in school? No, in high school they didn't have ROTC at the time that I was there, but uh, I was interested in uh, going to medical school. And so it's unlike unlike uh, today where kids are showered with all kinds of advice and people are you know after them to go to their school and what have you, and their counselors at school. Uh, it was kind of all up to us in those days, so... My dad, in the senior, in the fall of my senior year of high school, said, so what are you going to do about college? And I said, well, I think I'm going to go to medical school, University of Colorado. He said, really? How are you going to pay for it? And I said, well, gosh, I hadn't thought about that. So I started looking for a free education and found out that you could apply for the academies, which I did, and it seemed to work out for me, and I, I'm glad I did. It was, a, it was a great life and a great start to life. So you went to the Air Force Academy. There's there's other branches of the service that have academies as well. If you're you're interested in getting a free education, like you yeah. said, you know, it's not really free because you're sacrificing no. a lot of time. No. I actually had an appointment with the Naval Academy, and then when I found out the Air Force Academy was close to home in Denver, uh, I, where I grew up in Denver, uh, then I switched to the Air Force Academy, and it, it turned out it turned out to be a a good decision, but. Uh, my son went to the Naval Academy, as a matter of fact, and then took his career in the Air Force. So, But it's a it's a great life, and like you say, every service, I can't heck recommend it highly enough uh, to people that are interested. It's a great way of life. I really don't know anybody who's been in the military, whether it's in wartime or peacetime, that has regretted their experience. And like you said, it's a brotherhood. You can, like the police in fire, you can go anywhere in the country and meet another law enforcement or another firefighter and it's a brotherhood same thing with military you guys have a lot to share and and i'm glad you put these books out because this this speaks volumes for everybody what would you do again if you could do it again what would you do yeah, I, I, we've had this conversation, my wife and I, and Chuck laid it out very well. Uh, life is very difficult on families in the military. And uh, uh, I, I've said, would I do it again? And I would. I would. I don't have any regrets about the things I did in the military. It prepared me for things I did later in life. And uh, I just, uh, I, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to serve. In other words, you found out as a result of 9-11, that there's a lot of other people that are important other than the military. You know, firefighters, you said firefighters, law enforcement, that type of thing, uh, school teachers, uh, nurses, what have you, from the COVID. So there's a lot of ways to serve this nation. So find a way that you're interested in, dedicate yourself to it, get yourself educated, and go for it is my advice. Yeah, and that's, that's the key word there. Get yourself educated. <laughs> Education is huge. And, you know, I, I preach that, you know, Knowledge is power. You need to have... Did you go to um, 
did you go to a, any other colleges other than the Air Force Academy? Actually, uh, the theme of my little article in the in the in the uh, lesson of the geezers is was perseverance. Uh, it took me three years to get into the academy. I knew I wanted to go, uh, but the first time I applied, I was what they call a second alternate. Second time, went away to college. Second time I applied, I was a first alternate. Third time I applied, I got in. So uh, that's something I really wanted to do. How I found out about it, actually, I saw an article in Life magazine oh. that the, uh, the academy was opening up. It was a picture of a good-looking, you know, a strong, healthy person said, gee, that looks like something I'd like to try to do. So almost a whim, but I knew that I wanted to fly airplanes. And so that was a greater way to get there as opposed to through ROTC. Uh, throughout uh, my career, I think, you know, perseverance is probably the strongest lesson I learned. Uh, it would be most vividly demonstrated uh, when we're doing search and rescue mission for a... Uh, an F-4 pilot that was shot down right at the border of uh, North Vietnam and Laos. It took us three days to get him out. Uh, we flew 16 attempts with bringing helicopters in. Uh, they're being driven off by ground fire. Go back again and again and again. On the 16th attempt, on the third day, we finally got him out. Wow. So, I mean, lesson learned from me throughout uh, the Air Force, as well as subsequent careers, was per persevere, and uh, you'll get there. Yeah, if you want it bad enough, it'll yeah. happen. So true. I knew uh, one of my neighbors growing up, his name was Tom Holer, and he was a helicopter pilot, highly decorated helicopter pilot, and when you mentioned the search and rescue, it, it occurred to me that, you know, hey, I know one of these guys. And I don't know where he is now, I think Alabama, but just remarkable stories that he had to tell, too, when he was talking to my dad. Just yeah, a whole Chuck, bunch of Chuck, stuff. Chuck uh, minimizes uh, what, he, what those guys did over there. The search and rescue efforts were unbelievable. Uh, we worked together on, uh, as he said, we worked together. We'd, we'd be controlling a strike and then lose an airplane in a strike. And our, our role as missies was to see if the guy got out of the airplane, find out where he was, establish communication with him, and then call for these guys to come in. And when they came in, they were, they were unbelievable. The helicopters, I've, I've watched helicopters sit there and get hit time after time after time, hovering, waiting to pick up a guy. And as he said, some of them successful, some not. But uh, it was an amazing effort. And uh, and uh, I just take dangerous. my hat off. To, uh, big time dangerous. I take my hat off. And every helicopter pilot is a real hero to well, me. That's the, to that is the truth. Unbelievable. You know, if you go to the air show, they do show, at least at the last one, they showed where how the A-10s would protect the area while the right. rescue was being made. And it didn't occur to me that you have to secure the area <laughs> before you can go pick somebody up. So you had a very dangerous job. Well, yeah, it was. And helicopters had an even more dangerous job. Uh, what, what was happening on that SAR I was talking about is that we would, the A-1, we sit there, we would troll to find where the guns were so we could then attack them and silence them so a helicopter could go in safely. Uh, but the... Vietnamese and the uh, path at Lao 
learned very quickly that they hold their fire until the helicopter comes. Yeah. So in effect, the helicopter is being used to troll for guns, yeah. which is not their mission. And uh, it it, uh, it really made it very, very difficult to get the guys out because we couldn't find the guns until helicopters were in a hover. And then, of course, it uh, you know, all hell breaks loose. So it's difficult. Yeah, I can't imagine being in that position at all. So you have no regrets. What advice would you give to somebody who's thinking, gee, I want to do something for my country? Would you tell them to join the military in today's world, or would you tell them to do something else? Well, my question would be, you know, what are you really interested in? But the first thing to do is get an education, no matter what you want to do. And or going to college is really important. And when I say going to college, college if it's available or it's your thing, junior college is another thing, technical school is another thing. Whatever you got to, whatever you want to do, you got to prepare for it. You got to have an education in that particular area. But I just think that if you're interested in looking at the military, look at it, look at it carefully, get advice from all sorts of people, pick your service, and and go for it. But again, as we said before, there's all kinds of different ways to serve. You could be, a, a, as you know, a police officer or anything else. Uh, I think public, I think when we lost the concept of national service over the draft, the fact that the draft was eliminated, we should have national service and in return, educational benefits. And when we lost that in America, we lost a lot, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And I think people think, you know, the military, it's all, you know, guns and everything. It's not. There's yeah. so many different jobs in the military. I met a man who spent his entire military career playing in a band. Yep. And, you know, traveled the world playing in a band, entertaining, you know, the troops and other people. So, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do in the military. They they need everybody. Doctors, lawyers, everybody. Oh, yeah. Computer. Computer. My gosh! Anything to do with with, with cybersecurity and and uh, communications? You know, there's, there's there's incredibly wonderful careers out there. And the military, if you make it a career, is great. If you don't, it's a great foundation when you leave it to go out and do something else. Uh, when I left, I retired after 20 years in the Air Force and went to work for Northrop Grumman on the stealth bomber for 18 years. Oh wow! You know, so <laughs> and that was that was a pretty cool transition. But again, my experience in the Air Force was what got me into that second foundation. career. Absolutely. So it, uh, you know, everybody has, that doesn't have to be a lifer, but what the skills you learn, technical and human relations wise, will will, will get you the rest of your life. Those are life skills, yeah. It teaches you that. Did you have a second career? Uh, I did. I but I spent almost thirty nine and a half years in the military, one way or another, and uh, and so uh, I, I after I got out, it's interesting. I got out. And I was living the dream life in Washington, D.C. I was a retired general officer with a retired pension and a working spouse. My wife worked at, at Raytheon in the U-2 program. And on 9-11, I'm coming down with a cup of coffee, 
and my the phone rings. It's my wife. She says, do you have the TV on? No, I don't. She said, well, turn it on. Airplane just hit the World Trade Center. So uh, I turned the TV on, saw what you saw, and everybody saw and wondered the same thing. It's good weather. What This is wacko type thing. Yeah, it was clear skies. Yeah, yeah, and then I saw the second airplane hit, knew exactly what it was, and I called my old office in the Pentagon to say, do you think they might be coming here? I couldn't get through. They were already in motion. Uh, we lived close enough to the Pentagon that I felt the third airplane hit the Pentagon. And later that day, the phone rang, and it was CNN on the phone. And uh, long story short, uh, I told them I wasn't interested in, in doing it, and I gave them the names of others I thought would be better. They called back in about three days and said, well, none of them will talk to us either. And I said, well, there's a message there. But I tried it, and I started I had six years with CNN covering the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, Oh, wow. So yeah. you're kind of a war correspondent. I, I was for six years with them, yeah. So what was the the most highlighted yeah, story? Well, uh, basically, we went over there before before the war broke out, traveling the Middle East. I traveled the Middle East with Wolf Blitzer and some of the other people there. And, and Anderson Cooper, who at that time was was not a star, traveling the Middle East over there with them. And then uh, as the war took place, we would cover it from here and cover it from New York, cover it from Atlanta and what have you. And uh, it was an exciting life. Uh, it was an interesting life, and as you know, in the media, it's a very, very tough life. Competitive world out there, very interesting people in a, in a very tough and competitive environment, if you will. But the trips to uh, the trips to uh, Iraq, for instance, uh, went over there about 30 days after the combat ceased, and uh, met with the troops over there. Took three trips to Iraq had a lot of experience over there. The first trip, everybody was excited. Hey, we've overthrown. The second trip. Trouble had started and the attacks against Sunnis and, and Shia and what have you, attacks on the Marines, and I realized, uh, you know, we're having trouble. The third trip I went over, the things were really coming apart, and I was really, really discouraged, and we see the results of what's what's happened over there. When you try to go in and try to change the culture of another nation, uh, you're not going to do it, is what it amounts to, unless you're willing to stay forever and ever and ever. We should go in and get out with overwhelming force. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. We should be very careful about what we go into in the way of military conflict. we got to have the American people behind us when we do that, and we got to get in and get out. Don't try to stay there and try to change the culture of another nation. It's just not possible to do. Do you think we should have left a contingency there? Yeah, we could have maintained the, the mistake we made in Afghanistan, of course, is trying to stay for a long time and changing the culture. We changed from defeating the Taliban, which we had done, to basically trying to change the culture in the nation over Live there. like we do. And, and, yeah. and make them like us and a military like us. And it's not a country like us. It just isn't. And it's, it's, a, sad, it's a sad ending to a, a chapter that we should have learned many times from the things we'd gone through should have learned from vietnam and didn't uh, i'm very sad about the whole uh, the whole things that we've gone through in the middle east I, well, I always felt they never should have gone into iraq to begin with but once they got saddam hussein why why didn't we come home well it's a good question and your friend colin powell basically uh, that's the one mistake he really made and basically yeah, he's, he regretted, regretted he, he, he said he regretted it. he went in because he was convinced we had the they had the biological capability went in thinking they had nuclear weapons they did not uh, we should have gotten out left it to them but we didn't so sad 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 yep. situation but Interesting that you were a war correspondent. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, they call me a military analyst as opposed to a correspondent. I wish I wasn't a correspondent, but uh, basically was there to give my opinions of what was going on militarily and explain it to the American people. 
Interesting. It was it was uh, very very interesting. I don't regret it at all. What do you think is going to happen next with our country and moving forward? Okay, well, uh, the attention right now, of course, is on China. Everybody's concerned about China. That's the big concern. We see what's going on with Taiwan. China is making overtures toward Taiwan because they think they own it. They want to own it. And uh, <clears throat> and then the President Biden was just on this last week saying uh, we will defend uh, Taiwan if anything happens between them and China and leaves all of us wondering if that will really take place. I keep thinking, my goodness gracious, uh, we need China to buy our debt. They need us to buy their stuff. Yeah. If that's the case, there ought to be there ought to be a way to avoid war somehow, and and proceed there. And, and I I hope that that is the case. I hope that we've got a world a world economy now. Everybody depends upon everybody in this economic uh, thing out there, and we ought to be able to avoid war. But we haven't done it for. I mean, we went to war in the Middle East for thirty years, and I hope we've learned something that will stay out of war when it's not absolutely necessary and not in our vital interest to defend the United States. Could you go over there and negotiate something? Could I go over and negotiate sure. something? Like I say, I think that when we find the fact that we need each other. We need each other. We, we need each other. Uh, there ought to be a way to avoid war, for goodness sake. And I, I'm hopeful that we will be able to do that, despite the rhetoric. So who who is the person that's going to be negotiating? Okay, well, you tell me, if you will. You know how, how divided a nation is right now, politically. Right. It's right. really discouraging for us that are watching and watching and not involved in it and what we're seeking i think is leadership i you tell me either party i don't care what party and i don't care who the president becomes because the president is one of the most important things out there but we need a person that can lead and bring us back together and do the things that are important to the american people it's easy to say it's not hard to do but i don't see one on the horizon from either party that has developed right now that i'm really excited about but we got a lot of time between now and the congressional elections and also the upcoming presidential election so hopefully we'll find somebody out there that can put us back together either party or either leader or leadership from either party somebody with a moral compass Cool. And that would that would just you know be the biggest coup to be able to put us back on track. Yeah, it's going to be really really hard because we're so divided right now. Yeah, there's too many conspiracy theories out there. Yeah. Things are going on. So we're going to sum it up. We only have a few minutes left. Sum up your career. I mean, you've had an amazing career. If you had to just tell somebody in um you know, Reader's Digest type yeah. synopsis. Well, I had a wonderful career and a wonderful life. A lot of it was due to the military, the things I learned at the academy, then the things I learned in the military and associating with the people there. I can't speak highly enough about it. But again, do something you love, become educated, and be passionate about it, and you'll be successful. How long have you been married? Uh, I'll be 60 years coming up in June, <laughs> this coming June. So, What's your wife's name? Uh, uh, my wife's name is Rose, and I'm still on probation after 60 years. I haven't figured that out <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, Rose, thank you for your service. Absolutely. Chuck, how long have you been married? 51 years. And what's your wife's name? Patricia or Pat. Pat. Pat, thank you for your service. Yeah, it takes sure. strong women to support these amazing men. Absolutely. So how would you sum up your career? Fortunate. Uh, I managed to get, I managed to do the things I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, I flew I flew great airplanes. I worked with great people. I had a second career working on a fantastic airplane. I actually had a third career where I ran robotic competitions for high school kids. 
uh, throughout the Southeast to get them excited about science and technology. Oh, wow. So I got, you know, three very rewarding careers. Don't regret any of it. Uh, yeah, I worked until I was 78 or 76 years old, one way or another. So it's been a good life. Are you a member of FCA? I'm sorry? FCA? No? Apparently not. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Armed Forces, uh, what is it, Communications and Electronics? No. No? no. Because no. they have a, a huge STEM program, I just thought maybe. <laughs> no, there is a group here called SARCEF, right. uh, Southern Arizona Science Education Foundation, Right. Well, that I've judged in some of their science program. That's a great organization, by the way. I'll put a pitch in for them right now, unsolicited. Uh, no, there you go. And FCA works with them, but FCA is the military side. Yeah. I forgot to mention my third career. That's the grandkids out there. That's my reward for not killing my own kid. That's <laughs> <is> what I'm <laughs> doing. They're terrific. Four grandkids, and I love it. That's awesome. How many kids do you have? Just one. It's one son. How many kids do you have? I have one son, and we have one granddaughter. Very cool. We'll make sure you take them to the event that we're having on the 20th of November, which is going to be held at Wayne's Toys. And that's a classic and historic car museum here in Tucson. It's going to be an amazing event. We'll be broadcasting live from there. We'll have the uh, Cochise County Sheriff and Pinell County Sheriff on, and they're going to be talking about border situations. And afterwards, after we're off air, there'll be a, a time for some Q&A. So it's an opportunity to do something that you normally can't do here in Tucson. It's, it's got like 80 cars over there. He's got the entire Batmobile collection. It's just going to be a great, fun thing to do. And Friday, don't forget Friday, the 29th, at the National Night Out in Oro Valley, the police department's putting on this huge event at Walmart on Tangerine from 6 to 8. If your kids want to go safely trick-or-treating, this is where you want to bring them. We'll be handing out uh, treats for the kids. And Law Matters has a raffle going on where we're going to raffle off a, a huge Halloween basket for some lucky child. No uh, purchase necessary. Just come over. We'll give you a ticket to put in the bin, and winners do have to be present to win. I'm not going to run around town looking for you. And what else do we have? The poker run. The poker run on the 30th. Don't forget that for Saloff. And if you need any more information on that, go to lawmatters1030.org and buy your tickets there. Get your information there. You can contact me there. And until next week, shop local and stay safe. Hi, this is Sherry asking you to tune in to Law Matters Live Show every Saturday morning at 8. On our next show, we prepare for Davis Monthan Thunder and Lightning Air Show with the Program Director and Davis Monthan Fire Chief. We can't do these shows without your support. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to contribute and buy tickets to upcoming Law Matters unique fundraising events. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.